The book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We have come to a topic that is really a topic that is despised in our nation today. And unfortunately, in many cases, it is despised even within the professing church of Jesus Christ. And that is a little word that we could describe as this. It is the word submission. Submission. Now today we're going to take two messages to cover this. It will not be a full development of the doctrine of submission throughout the Bible. That's really not my intent. My intent is to keep it within the framework of the book of Ephesians, but I think if we do that, it will really give us a framework on what the Lord is speaking of when He talks about submitting in everything. So this word, submission. So this morning, submitting in the fear of Christ, and then this afternoon, submitting one to another. I want to begin reading again in Ephesians 5 and verse 15. Our text will be verse 21, but this is our climax of this book. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You'll note the word subject. You've got that again in our translation in verse 22. You're going to have this again and later on here in the passage. You've also got the word fear. You've got the fear of Christ in verse 21. You have the word fear in verse 33 of chapter 5 when it says the wife must see to it that she, our translation uses the word respects her husband. It's actually the word fear. And then you have the same word fear in chapter 6 and verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Our proper behavior as believers begins and involves with knowing the will of the Lord. You and I should know what the will of the Lord is. That will is God the Father's will to sum up all things in Christ. And if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, let's just regather this in our understanding. 
In verse 9, he says that he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, here's the mystery of his will revealed, the summing up of all things in Christ. We know what that will is as believers. And because of that, every church and every individual believer is to maximize their time that they have on this earth, their remaining time they have, to understanding and conforming themselves to this will. For us to know the depth and the length and the height and the breadth of this will, and in understanding that will, we come to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and that results in us as a church and individual believers being filled with the fullness of God. That's an amazing statement have an individual or a church filled with the fullness of God. And brethren, this is what brings glory to God. We talk a lot about glorifying God. This brings glory to God. Us being filled with the fullness of God that comes through the knowledge of this eternal purpose that God has in Christ. And he's going to say the same thing here when he says in verse 18 of Ephesians 5, Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What what does this mean? Well, Paul is using the phrase, do not be drunk with wine, as a general expression for our former manner of life. This is the way we used to live. But now we are to walk in newness of what? Newness of life. What is that? Well, that is being filled with the Spirit. What does that refer to? What is the Spirit of God filling us with? He is filling us with the fullness of God that comes through this growing knowledge of God's eternal purpose. We know it in statement. Now we come to know it in the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of this. And this is going to take being strengthened in our inner man to do this. It's going to take a change inside of us and a power inside of us. Well, what kind of power would do this? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. God brought forth life out of death. You and I are first born in death. And God brings life, second birth, in our lives, out of our death. We are dead in trespasses and sins. And folks, when we are filled with the words of Christ, when those words dwell richly in us, when that knowledge is growing within us through the Scriptures, when that eternal purpose is being worked out in our life, then we are filled or controlled by God. And in a congregation, what that looks like is Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 21. It changes the way we are speaking one to another. Verse 19. It changes our singing. 
It changes what is going on in our heart to the Lord. It changes our speech by this. We are not known for being complainers. We are known for being thankful. That's an amazing shift, isn't it? But folks, not only does it result in those things, and all of those are participles, but also in verse 21 is a participle, and it could be translated and being submitting or submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And folks, what that means is, is that this term submission is foundational to the change that goes on inside of us by being filled with all the fullness of God. It's not an optional thing. It's not something that only if we decide that we want to do it. No, we, we need to be changed in this area. Why is that? Well, I asked my wife on the way over here. I said to her, <clears throat> I said, I'm going to name something, submission, tell me the opposite. And I don't know if what popped in your head was what popped in my head, which is what popped in my wife's head. What is the opposite of the word submitting? It is rebelling. And folks, here's the thing. When we are born into this world, we are born as rebellious little babies. Any mother and dad know that. You don't have to train a baby to be rebellious. We have to train it to be what? To be good and obedient. Nobody sets their child down and says, now let me teach you how to lie. Lying happens. It's natural to our original fallen nature. We don't have to be taught to have contrary opinions to someone. We don't have to be taught to be critical. We don't have to be taught to be opinionated. All those things are what? They're natural. And it's not just children that deal with this. Adults deal with this. This is our first reaction to almost everything. Our first reaction is to click that little button, like or dislike. Do I agree or disagree? Do I like what they say? How do I feel about it? That's our first response to just about what? To everything. But wouldn't it be great if we were not known for that, but we were known for... Submission. Would that be something opposite to the world? Wouldn't that be light over darkness? And folks, it is this attribute, gratitude, genuine thankfulness from our heart, 
walking with the Lord, singing and making melody to Him. Submission that we are to be known for as a believer. Jesus used a parallel word, and that is the word serving one another. He spoke to His disciples and said, you know that how among the Gentiles they want to lord over one another. But this is not to be so among you. You are to take the form of a what? The servant. Folks, a good servant is a submissive servant. Wouldn't you agree to that? And yet it seems that today in our culture, and as I mentioned, even within Bible-believing churches, that there is a reluctance to even mention this word. You mentioned the word submission, and there's almost a change of atmosphere within the church body. And folks, I, I want to ask ourselves this question, just kind of introducing this subject of submission. Why would a believer be ashamed of submission? Why would a believer be ashamed of being conformed into the image of a servant? Should we be ashamed of that? Don't you want to be saved from your sin? Don't you want to be well-pleasing to Him? Don't you want to fulfill the ultimate thing, the ultimate purpose for which God is working in your life as a believer, and that is to be conformed into His image? He's called, Christ is called in the book of Isaiah, the servant capital S. And there are four psalms to the servant in the prophet Isaiah, and they all speak of his submission. This past week, I (coughs) opened up my browser in my computer, and I typed in the word submission. And got a whole list of sites about that. Now my browser is picked up, I think, that I'm a believer. So it only showed me like the top websites that deal with this word submission from a Christian perspective. I can assure you I did not go through every one of them. But I did go through some of the within the top ten. It is amazing the teaching that is going on about the word submitting. In general, the ones that were not 
orthodox and scriptural, what they tended to do was avoid scriptural exegesis about the topic. In other words, they'd have a topic, but hardly any passages would be in it at all. Or they would just quote a popular writer, like C.S. Lewis. I didn't know where C.S. Lewis was the 13th apostle, but some people think he is. Or they wrote about it in the form of therapeutic principles and concepts. Or they referred to the word submission and however they defined it by their experiences. Or what is common today when you want to talk about the word is that they don't talk about it from a scriptural perspective, but they only talk about it from extreme viewpoints of, ex- of abusive relationships that they have seen or heard of, or they invented a situation within their mind that would make the word submission not mean what it meant. Or they spoke about it from whether it worked or not. As in, I was submissive and I tried to do what so-and-so told me to do, but it didn't work. Well, submission doesn't always work as far as the world's viewpoint of this. They had interesting definitions of what this is. I'll mention three. One person said that, very dogmatically, that whatever submission means, it definitely doesn't submit it definitely doesn't mean submitting to another person's will. What it means is to submit to someone else's welfare. And of course, you have to beg the question, well, how do you define one another person's welfare? You may think my welfare means this. I may think, no, it doesn't. Or we had another person who used the word submission to come up with their definition. The word submission is made of two words. Sub, submission. And so their definition means this. And they were quite, I I had to admit, I was watching this person on video and I was really impressed with how they preached this. They were very enthusiastic about this. But they said that submitting to your husband means is that you are under the mission of your husband. So I guess if his mission is building buildings, then you're under the submission, then you're under the mission of your husband. That's sub, sub what? Submission. That's not how you, that is not how you come to an understanding of the Bible. And I'm not mocking this person by saying that. It is a common way to understand Scripture by just kind of dissecting words. Another person wrote that submission, and in this context it dealt with a wife, but that submission is a wife's intelligent, happy, wise support for her husband's leadership. It's getting a little closer. But in all of these that I looked at, here were words that were noticeably absent. Obedience. 
authority. Headship. And folks, even, even a cursory examination from our Bible of the word submission knows that submission definitely means that there has to be someone you are submitting to and that would make that someone a what? An authority. That there is an element of obedience to it or it's not submitting. And in God's ordained procedure, there are certain things as headship. Christ is our head, is He not? If I say to you, I am submitting to Christ, does that involve Him being an authority? Does that involve in me obeying Him? Yes, that's what submission is. I sincerely doubt that if you were in the military and your commanding officer said, obey me, you would say, excuse me, sir, I'm only under your mission. I don't have to obey you. Or, I'm sorry, you're not taking into account my welfare. No, that commanding officer is expecting what? Obedience. And in our culture, today, that is a naughty word. That is an evil word. But it should not be this way in the house of God. Was Jesus under authority? Did Jesus obey His authority? Did He have a head? God the Father. And so are we. If we are taking the form of a servant, then of necessity there must be a master. Or else you're not a what? You're not a servant. To be a servant is nonsensical if there is no master. Or if the master is you. So I think, I think if we just exert a little common sense, I think that we understand that submission is contrary to our sinful nature. It's not our first reaction. And with a little thought, we understand that we are not to be submissive to ourselves, we are to be submissive to God. Can we all agree with that? Can we see that just from an argumentation perspective? And folks, our submission, if we look at Ephesians 5 verse 21, <clears throat> we are to be subject or submissive. We are to be subject to one another in the fear of who? Christ. In other words, we are submitting to God and we are submitting to His Son, Jesus Christ. We are submitting one to another, referring to the church. 
We are submitting one to another because God in Christ commanded us to do so. He commanded us to do so. He instituted it. It is of His making. And He has commanded us to do so. And folks, if He's commanded us to do so, then we should be subject one to another in the what of Christ? In the fear of Christ. What does that mean, the fear of Christ? It means not just you (coughs) being in the corner trembling... But it means to be in the fear of displeasing Him because He commanded this. And folks, what that means is this, is that we are to be submitting one to another not merely because we want peace among one another, We're not to submit merely because they're an authority figure or we're going to be punished if we disobey. We submit unto the Lord. Now folks, we've got to get that in our hearts and our minds because... We, we are too ready to put everything on a one another plane first. Why do I have to submit to them? Versus, I need to be submissive to who? Christ. The Lord, Christ. And I should have in my heart an intense fear to displease Him. Now folks, that fear to displease Him isn't a fear like He's going to take away your salvation. It is a fear to displease Him because of what He has done on your behalf. Has He not shown mercy to you? Has He not cleansed you from all your sin? Has He not given you a new spirit, the spirit of life? Has He not done this all to a person who doesn't deserve it? The least we could do is say to Him, I fear to displease you because of His mercies that He has shown to us. And folks, this is exactly what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks about. And I want us to turn there just to see this. It is in other places in our Bible. But I want us to see that this fear is a fear of displeasing. It's not merely a fear because God's going to threaten you or whip you or discipline you, but it's just a fear to displease Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, We know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, that is our bodies, our physical bodies, we have a building from God. We have a body or a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. 
inasmuch as we, having put it on, would not be found naked. Now go down to verse 5. Now He who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present at home and to be at home with the Lord. Now note verse 9. Therefore, because we are willing to be at home with the Lord, to be absent from this body, therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home, meaning in this temporal body, or absent, meaning in our glorified body, therefore we have as our ambition to be what to Him? To be pleasing to Him. That is a believer's ambition. And folks, it is to be our ambition forever. If you're at home in this temporal body, it is your ambition to be well-pleasing to Him. But if you're in heaven and in your glorified body, even there, your ambition is to be well-pleasing to Him. Isn't that amazing? And folks, this is the fear. The fear of being displeasing to Him because note verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5. Why? Why is this our ambition? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether they are good or bad, therefore knowing the what of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We persuade men. This is a fear of being displeasing to Him. Don't we want to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And a good and faithful servant fears the Master. Not fear as in trembling in a corner lest you get beat but the fear of displeasing Him. And folks, this is the way the Bible talks about submission all throughout the New Testament. I want you to look at Ephesians 5 again. We're going to look at six or seven passages here just so that we'll see this. Verse 21, and be subject, verse 21, to one another in the fear of Christ. Look at verse 24. Speaking to the wives, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their husband to their husbands in everything. How is the church submissive to Christ? In the what of Christ? In the fear of Christ. How is a wife to be submissive to her own husband? She is to have this type of heart. She is to fear to displease Christ by disobeying him and having a fear of displeasing her who? Her husband. It's the same fear. And folks, it is Christ who commanded us to have this fear. Or if you go back to the book of Romans, chapter 13, 
And you know that when I say Romans 13, immediately we're talking about what institution? We're talking about government. Romans 13 verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection or submission to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by who? By God. God is the one who established authority. Now look at verse 5. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, not only because you would be punished, but also for conscience sake. Everybody say that word conscience sake. What does he mean when he talks about conscience sake? It means that if we disobey, if we dishonor, if we don't submit, then our conscience will register it as as sin. So why do we submit? For conscience sake. We, we, don't, we don't want to what? We don't want to sin. We don't want our conscience to bear witness to us that we have transgressed the commandment of God. You go to the book of Colossians chapter 3, which is the parallel book to the book of Ephesians. He mentions it here again. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Now here it is. As is fitting in the Lord. So you're submitting, fear of displeasing Christ, and you're to subject yourself to your own husband as it is fitting, as it is suitable in the Lord. And this afternoon... I think I'll bring out what that is referring to. It is His will for us to be submitting one to another. Or Titus chapter 2. We read this for our scripture reading. Titus chapter 2. Again, in this particular case, it's referring to the wives. But it says in verse 5 that the elder women are to teach the younger women. And I've always found this interesting that they're teaching the younger women to love their husbands. Well, I get that. Us husbands are most unlovable. But they have to teach the younger women to love their children. That seems strange, doesn't it? But in verse 5 it says... being subject to their own husbands. Why? So that the Word of God will not be dishonored. In other words, folks, we're submitting to not violate the teachings of the Word of God. The Word of God, Christ, commands us to submit, to be submissive people. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, and of course you know 1 Peter is talking about this awful subject of suffering, but in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13, it says to us, Submit yourselves 
For the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and the praise of those who do right, for such is the will of God for us. So we are to be submitting one to another because of the fear of Christ, the fear of displeasing Him. We are to be submitting because we don't want our conscience to register sin. Our ambition is to be well-pleasing to Him. This is suitable and fit in the will of the Lord. We don't want to violate the teachings of the Word of God because when we do that, we bring reproach upon ourselves and to the one who commanded us to be submissive. And we are to be submissive to human authority because it is ordained of God. Every authority is ordained of God, put in place by God. And we're to do it not merely because we don't want to go to jail. We do it because we want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. And then lastly, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. Speaking of servants. <clears throat> servants, be submissive to your masters with all, our translation says, respect. It is the word fear. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to those who are good and gentle, that's easy, but also to those who are unreasonable. Verse 19, because this finds favor. If, a, if for the sake of conscience to God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering un justly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience, but when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This, this finds favor with who? With God. So brethren, as we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, this is the very first thing that we have to really get into our hearts and our minds. What is it? We are to be subject to one another in the fear of who? Of Christ. Now this afternoon... I want to look at the context of this submission and the sphere of our submission. But I'm going to conclude this with this admonition and question for us this morning. Whether we are an employee whether we are a boss, whether we are a child in a home, whether we are a husband or a wife, in relationship to our government, 
are we known as submissive servants? Does submission involve obedience? Well, you know it does. Ephesians 6 verse 1, Children, do what to your parents? Honor your parents. Obey them. This is right. Does it include obedience when the Bible says to the church, obey those that have rule over you? Does it include obedience? Folks, it includes our hearts are to be submissive whether it is a permanent institution of God. And what I mean by that, the home, government, or even if it's a temporary relationship. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's think of a couple. Your children may go off to school. When they go off to school, they have a, hopefully they have a teacher. Right? But that's not a permanent relationship, right? But is the teacher an authority? And as Christian people, Christian children, we should be submissive to that authority. Even though it's temporary, it's only going to last how many months? It's only going to last nine months. Or in the military, that relationship with your sergeant or that relationship with those who are in authority over you, it it could be temporary. They could be promoted. They could be shipped to another place. But you are to be what? Submissive. Or if you're going out for Little League Baseball, I read an article a couple of weeks ago that they were having trouble finding umpires for Little League Baseball. Why? You want to know why? This is what the article said. Because of the parents who would threaten the umpires, in some cases with physical harm, That's a great example for our children, isn't it? But that's a temporary relationship. I'm only on the ball team during the season, right? I don't have a relationship to that coach outside of that. But there are permanent relationships. Parents, family, church, Christ, government. These things are instituted by God. There's a lot of tragedy associated with what we now know as January 6th. The greatest tragedy of it perhaps is it was supposedly done by Christian people. If you think about January 6th, do you think submission...
you think of our governmental leaders when they won't obey the law, do you think submission? Folks, when you think about our government today, do you think, oh, will they obey the law? No, you're suspicious of everything, aren't you? And would to God, God's people, I'm not talking about the world, that God's people would be a light and an example in this. That our children would put down their first reaction of disagreement, contradiction, my opinion, I don't like it, and instead develop what Peter spoke of. A meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. Folks, do we hear that? There's not one of us here not one of us here that doesn't need to grow in this area. Some of you need to repent about this. You've been listening to the world, not your Bible. Some of you that when you repent of this, you need to go to your authority and ask forgiveness for your wicked spirit toward them. That'd be a good place to start, would it not, children? Would it not, adults? It makes no sense. It is hypocritical of us to condemn the world and then do the very same thing the world is doing. You say, yeah, but they're worse. Did you just hear what you just said? (laughs) Yes, I'm unsubmissive, but they're worse. God holds us more highly accountable. Because if you don't have a growing, meek, and quiet spirit, if you don't have a growing submission, a submissive heart, folks, you will not be submissive to God. We can't say, I am being submissive to God while we are unsubmissive to the authorities that are ordained of God. It is really easy for us to say we're submissive to God because we can't see God and He's not here to defend Himself. But folks, one day as a believer, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And He's going to judge the deeds that we have done in our body, whether it be good or evil. And folks, there will be people, and I want to be one of them, whose spirit is well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter 
into the joy of your Master. Let's pray.